it's like, what are you going to do? Fire me? Then find somebody else to do what I do. You can't because I'm irreplaceable because the things that I know, everybody else doesn't know right. because everybody else, even at that point, hadn't shot hundreds of pieces of content. They were all just fucking assistants and all the other shit. None of you motherfuckers ever picked up a camera. None of you bitches ever edited using Premiere Pro. Don't tell me how this thing goes when I know how it goes and I know how much time and what's equitable and what's not. And that was really my fight and my beef. It wasn't about black or white. I didn't give a fuck if you were black or white. It was just like, if we're gonna if we're gonna do what we say we're gonna do, let's have an honest conversation and don't you know piss on me and tell me that it's raining. And that's what that happened a lot in those meetings because it was better for us to fuck our partners over in order for us to earn money. When in reality, if we help them make more money, we make more money. All right, you guys know the drill. Super excited, episode three. Um, today's guest is a huge inspiration for me in the podcast game and in life. An amazing father, an amazing figure in the Hollywood landscape, and a podcast legend today. Please welcome Thomas Price. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate that. How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm great, man. This is a this is a big deal. No, uh, no this is a big deal. It is. No, this it is a is. huge deal because you have retired from podcasting, yes. yet you're still on the podcast. Yes, I retired from podcasting. I'm done. No, it's a big deal. That's the first thing I really wanted to discuss. I was actually you. pretty surprised at how, like, even my younger brother texted me like, yo, everybody's, they're going crazy right now because you're <laughs> retired. I'm like... I mean, it's it's a big deal, man. For if anyone doesn't know, Thomas has been the longtime host of multiple podcasts, but especially Hoops and Brews, which is an amazing basketball-centered podcast. You know, it's an entire media company, and it's still going on without you. But yeah. you're the heart and the soul of the I mean, thing. The man. business. I'll say this: I retire from the podcast game. I don't want to do this anymore, right. but I'm still running a business, so you know. Well, like I appreciate the, you so me so H and B media is not going away. Like I just right. decided to step away from the microphone. That's all. I've been an entertainer for a long time. Like people you never realized that, but I've been an entertainer since I was like fifteen. Give us the like history. Real, so how did you get into it and how'd you get to where you are? In, now? in terms of getting into what specific into entertainment, man. Uh, like you weren't always podcasting, yeah. you were doing stuff before that. Yeah. Well I was always a TV kid, so my mom okay. used to always like I, I hate to say it like that because I don't want it to make it seem like she just sat me in front of TV. But like in the 90s, the box set TVs were a thing, you know, yeah. the ones that were on the floor. So my mother used to love to splurge on furniture. So she had like this really big box set TV. And it, I remember it. Actually, I, the scar I have on my head, it came from a similar model, but oh, wow. it wasn't in my mom's house. Did it like fall on um, you? No, basically, I was running at my old babysitter's house. I tripped on a rug, hit the edge of the TV because, you know, they were curved Ooh, when I was yeah. like two or three. And it just sliced my head open. It was like a whole like hand towel full of blood oh my God. when I was a, a kid. And I think it was like 13 stitches or something like that. So yeah. I have a scar right here. Yeah, I can see it. No, I've never noticed no, it before, yeah, yeah. but now I'm like, yeah, people don't right usually notice it. it, but. but <laughs> The pessimistic women I date sometimes be like, oh, I know, I know it's your scars. Like, Thank you. You, so like you looked at me long enough. You like, yo, you ugly. <laughs> That's funny. So you grow up, you're watching a lot of TV, and you just kind of get in, it like embraced, like immersed in that. It's not even that. I think it was. Um, I just always liked the auditory part of. TV because my mom loved music so right. we, we used to always you always have music loud like if you around me I usually have some music playing loud and that comes from my Very mother true. my mother always had a bunch of records she had over 200 CDs back when CDs were a thing like racks 
And literally, when we lived in the hood, all the drug dealers that lived on the block would come, and my mother would cook sometime, and she would like get them catfish or spaghetti, really? and then she, they would be like, "Yo, Miss Price, can you?" Because my mom was a teacher, so everybody, yeah. even though we were living in a bad area, they always had respect for my mom because she's a teacher, and, and like it was kind of like everybody's mom. That's awesome. Um, so, so literally, she would blast music through the neighborhood to like one in the morning, but everybody would be sitting on their stoop listening to it. People might roam, come in and out grab some catfish or some spaghetti or she'll bring out like plates for people so she was like a staple in the community i mean i don't want to say it like that sure but, i mean like my mother's been a staple in a lot of communities my mother was a teacher for like 26 years oh, wow. before they made her retire basically because her health got real bad she oh, had de degenerative spine that. disease and herniated disc and got a machine implanted in her back then they took it out then so mm -hmm. she's got fibromyalgia my mom is like it's funny, like she had, she she doesn't have cancer. Knock on wood. Um, we had some scares um, recently, actually. Uh, but she but she doesn't have cancer. But she has like a whole bunch of ailments. So she's all. So her body just slowly like broke down. It's like as hard as I work. It's like I get my work ethic from my mom. Wow. Like my mom, my father was like a crackhead um, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. uh, legit. Um, not like. Basically, my parents lived together for the first ten years of my life. Um, and then basically once they got a divorce, my father kind of like went off and just like went down the whole crack thing that everybody was doing. At that but but was he was he into that while he was still in your life? Or no, he was he was, he was an a, he was an abusive alcoholic, ah. like a like a physically abusive alcoholic. But also she was Sorry a physical that. person in nature too, which is which is one of those things where like even with like the whole like men don't hit women thing like my mother never raised me that way and not that I hit women I don't believe in that like I'm like like it literally like I like I've made it a mission in my life to not go be, go down that path because I saw it so much when I was younger That's but good. even my mother was would 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 say all the time to me like like he was wrong but like I also w was wrong like I like once the once whatever would happen it would happen you can't just not say something right so she would talk to me about it and but at the same time she would never always place the blame on him even though i do from my own recollections believe that um but so like as they were so as we were growing up um it wasn't so much she was a staple in the community like my parents kind of split up and then once we moved on our own the people that were around us just kind of loved my mom because she had four boys right. so they would always like just kind of try to look out for us because my mom was a teacher and she was working hard. Mm -hmm. My mom used to work like three, four jobs at one point in time. Wow. So when I was with babysitters and stuff, I'd be watching TV and hearing the audio. So when I'm not listening to music, it would be a TV on. Mm -hmm. And then I started watching movies. And as like I was two years old, I knew like all the words to Ninja Turtles and stuff like yeah. that. And then as I got older, I everybody used to say I was like the actor or whatever. They would make me do these little skits and stuff at the family reunion. And then Speed 4, I basically... I was think I was 13 and I was about to graduate from elementary school, but I was really, really sickly when I was a kid. Like I almost oh, no. died. Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Yeah, like I've been in I've been admitted to the hospital over 60 times. I've been wow. admitted to the ICU over it might it the exact number might be 13, but I think it's officially over over 12. I've technically missed in my lifetime over 800 school days of like wow. actual elementary school. Between the age of like 11 to like 14 I missed two full school years with my asthma because I had really really bad asthma like I'm, I'm a potentially well I was a potentially fatal asthmatic now I'm like now I'm fine but at, when I was a kid I was like a really really bad asthmatic potentially fatal asthmatic and for like literally 
like three years straight. I was basically in and out of the hospital. I would go home for a week, be back in the hospital. They thought I was going to die a bunch of times, told me I wouldn't live to be past 18, all this other shit. And I was like, whatever. But kind of because of that, my mother was still working jobs, multiple jobs and teaching. And she stayed in the hospital with me every single night. Wow. So even while I was in the hospital, the reason why I never missed school was because I just consumed information. I watched TV. I watched CNN. Like I was like I was in the house basically for like three years with like not going to school. They sent a home teacher. I had a hundred days of homeschooling in three years. Wow! And I never missed. And I never missed a grade. I was still tested top sixty three to seventy five percentile in in my grades usually. So I was and I graduate and I was supposed to be the valedictorian in elementary school, but because I had missed so many days because of my asthma, basically. The principal blocked me from being the um, from being the valedictorian and from being a salutatorian because I missed so many days. And they were like, well, it would be unfair to right. kids that were at school every day. My mom was like, yeah, but he's got the best test scores in the class and his grades are some of the best in the class. And they said no. So that actually my mom was teaching at that school yeah, because she did it to kind of keep an eye on me. Mm-hmm. And then basically my mom quit after that happened because they didn't make me valedictorian. But during that time I asked her I said hey like I really like movies you know I like movies can you buy me a Sony Handycam and she was like that's a lot of money and this is what 13 years old 13 years old it's like 2003 I said hey can you buy me a Sony Handycam and she's like how much is it I was like I don't know I'll look it up it's a lot of money but like I really want it I want to make movies and I want to film stuff and you can use it for the family reunions or whatever I was just selling on like dream again and she was like all right well if you graduate and you get good grades I'll buy you a camera graduate high school right no 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 she was talking about graduate eighth grade oh okay because basically I came there when I was 13 which is like the beginning of eighth grade year and I was like I really want this camera she was like all right well I'll get it for you for a graduation gift. It won't be for Christmas, but it'll be for a graduation slash birthday combo gift. She's like, but you'll have to wait and you will get less for Christmas. I was like, that's fine. Fair. I like I I looked up the prices. It's like it's like I think it was like it might have been four hundred eighty nine dollars back then or three hundred. A lot of money back then. Four hundred eighty nine dollars or three hundred eighty nine dollars. And I was like, I really want this. Like I want to like shoot videos and movies with it. And I graduated and she bought me my camera. And wow. from there, I started shooting videos at home, doing all the other kind of stuff. Went to high school, went to After School Matters, which is like a program in Chicago for underprivileged kids where they teach them different skills and stuff that they learn. So we had a film program. We shot um, um, a, a short film called Detention where it was supposed to take place in one day in detention, but every day nobody wore the same outfits. So oh. the whole short <laughs> film is like it's like scene to scene. Everybody's got on different outfits, but it's the same story. That's funny. And it was about these kids getting murdered in detention by like one of their classmates or something. Wait, wait. Let me, let me stop you there. Let me write behind a little bit. So... You grew up with not a lot of money in Chicago. You know, you're sick, which I had no idea. I'm guessing your health started to improve around this time. Yeah. But it seems pretty clear that the whole time entertainment has a huge factor on you. Yeah. You know, you have all these memories of music and movies as a child. And then even at the age of 13, 14, you knew this is something you wanted to be a part of. Which is really impressive considering that I'm sure no one else in Chicago really I had actually left out the dreams. most important part. Oh, the most going. important part was since I was like five, I told people that I was going to make movies one day. Really? I was going to leave Chicago. I was going to move to Hollywood and make movies one day. Okay. And I was going to be Steven Spielberg. And everybody's like, shut the fuck up. We're in the middle of the hood. We broke. We're on welfare. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like literally people. Of course. It's you, the hood. Like people used to think I was insane. Like, and like, like people still think I'm insane. 
But people used to, when I was younger, used to think I was insane. Because I was also really small when I was a kid. Right. I didn't grow to be the height I am, which is like five, nine, and three quarters or whatever, until I was like 18. Wow. I was five, one, four foot 11 until I was 17. So you're this run of the litter kid in the hood yeah. who says they got big dreams of being yeah. this I was the movie nerd. producer yeah. and everybody kind of shugs you off. But Bro, you up. get a camera, you start creating at a really young age. And it seems like it's taken off. I mean, even this whole idea of this detention, this sounds like something you wrote, directed all yourself. Like, it seems like this I didn't is write and really direct it all myself because we had to, in after school matters, like basically they tried to teach everybody a basic level skill. So, as a group, we all came together to write it. But I actually still have that same script. I actually really? have it. I swear to God, I still have it. Like, I, I can't remember everybody that worked on it, which I'm sure if I wanted to produce it, I would have to just go back and find them. Right. Oh, let me see. Nolan. I remember Nolan worked on it because he acted in my first short film ever. Like my first um, like real one that wasn't on the handy cam. Yeah. Nolan. It was Nolan like four of the people. It was a guy I went to high school with. I just mm -hmm. remember Nolan because Nolan used to always wear like a... Um, like you know those winter like black caps oh that yeah you fold over that you fold but over, he yeah. would wear them no no matter what the weather eighty was. degrees outside he still got degrees outside he <laughs> have a white t shirt some jeans and a yep. black like uh, that cap. was just his thing yeah he had hair his lining was fine he just loved the cap so uh, but yeah so I still have the script but so it was on my mind but it was kind of one of those things where. I had a conversation, and I noticed, and I hate when people are like, I had a conversation with God, but I actually had a conversation. I'm sorry. But no, dear shit. Not to sound preachy, but I swear to God, I had a conversation with God. I had like went to the ICU one time, for, the, and it was actually the last time I went to the ICU. Hmm. I went to the ICU, and I was in the ICU, and basically, I had been in there for, I don't know, it had at least been over like a week or something, but that was like the 13th time in all these years. And like when you when you're in the hospital for asthma problems and things of that sort, you got oxygen tubes up your nose. They making you get like a nebulizer all the time. So my lips used to be like really really chapped and and really really like um, I would get like these like sores around my lip. They weren't cold sores, but like it's saline. So like yeah. the, in a nebulizer solution, it's like like a form of saline and some other stuff. So it's like salt. So imagine like you just like constantly putting so moist salt against you, so right. it dries everything out. So lips be cracked and skin cracked. Like low energy. I was laying in the hospital and I literally, I was in the bed and I looked up to the ceiling. I was like, yo, God, if this is going to be my life, just kill me. Like, I'm good. Right. Like, I've, I was in the hospital so much, I've seen cancer patients go in, come and leave and die in the ICU, all the other kind of stuff. Because they bring us out for like 30 minutes. We move some shit around, maybe play some games. Right. Our energy be gone. Then, like, you might not see the cancer, young cancer patient with no hair anymore. And then, right. like, oh, they passed on. Kind of know. Yeah. So I was like, yo, if this is it, like, kill me. Right. If not, then, like, let's get this over with because I'm tired of it. And honestly, after that, I never, I went back to the hospital probably a couple more times, but it was never really that severe. And wow. I just kind of, like put it in my mind that that wasn't going to be my life anymore. That's a blessing. So so at that point, you're out of the hospital, yeah. you're feeling better, and you're making, you're creating, you're making movies. Yeah. Tell me about high school. How do you get to the point where you get to here? Because we're in L.A., uh, you moved after. What happened in between that allowed you that opportunity yeah. to get out west? Yeah, so I did After School Matters, which basically when I did it, it kind of showed my mother that I was serious about it. Because everybody knew I was serious because I would shoot films with my younger brothers, like um, little movies where we would do little action films and stuff in our apartment building. And then I would like show it to the whole family. So, and I would be literally editing these movies like tape to tape because we have VCRs. So, right. if you put multiple VCRs in the input, you can run the input into one VCR and play it. And then you can play the, the tape through the. Because with those old tapes, I think those are like, um, 
I forgot the name of the tapes. It's not V8. It's like Super the 8 or... No, no, no. It's like no. Super 8 or something like... I forgot the name of the tape. They were small tapes, but you could buy an adapter okay. where, it was, where you could put the tape inside of another tape and then it would play it. So uh-huh. you could put the tape inside of that tape and then I would put the other VCR next to it and hook up the video outputs and inputs. <laughs> and then I would literally edit my movies on a VCR at first. And then eventually I figured out how to hook up my camera to the computer um, and then I started doing this live show when I when I was like 18, seven, when I was 17, 18, wow. when I was in high school because I had a computer. So I hooked my camera up to my computer and I had this show called the TPJ Show and it was on Ustream. And basically, <laughs> I used to have like 16 like live viewers watching okay. me until like 3 o'clock in the morning doing every day. Twitch numbers. Yeah. No, honestly, back then, I swear to God, that was back when if you got 100 YouTube views, like everybody would be like, yo, you're lit. Right, like people like people forget like when you used to get a thousand YouTube videos. I mean, sorry, I'm sorry, a thousand YouTube video views. It was the most like incredible thing. Ever. Oh yeah, I remember back. I remember in the early internet days, if a yeah. video had a million views, yeah. everyone had seen it. Yeah. Everyone you know had seen this yeah. video. Now there are a million videos yeah. with ten million views that no one's seen. Yeah. But no, I get it. so yeah. you're you're so, creating and people are actually watching. Sixteen people yeah. at that time is a big deal. Like at night, and I would go on when my mom went to sleep because basically in the basement of the house, my mom bought a house. So in the basement, I used to like set up all my film equipment and stuff. And yeah. my mom bought all this weird IKEA furniture. So I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna make a show. So I yeah. have my little brother Kyle behind the computer I have my Sony Handycam and then I had a webcam and the webcam would be sitting on the thing with me the Sony Handycam would be one thing and my brother would be literally hitting the button to switch the camera from camera to camera and people will watch me live but the thing that like made my show so big and successful at that point in time like people literally that I went to high school with were like fans and all stuff like yeah. that whole summer between high school and like um, college or like kind of that last little part like I would literally like do that shit until three in the morning, get up and go to school, and we be laughing with people about it. And basically, the thing that made it cool was like people would send me people's numbers to prank call. <laughs> so now that I think about it, it was very stupid and reckless. But people would be like, "Yo, prank call my cousin." Okay. So I would, they would be on the internet. I would have the phone and microphone as clear yeah. as audio. Say, tell me what you want me to say to them. They put it in the chat. I call the number. And then basically people be listening to it, watching live reacting. And then I was like, you know what? I like this. I can keep doing this. And my mom basically was like, all right, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going to work a job, save, and then I'm going to go to L.A., become a PA, and work my way up and become a filmmaker and and learn how to do it that way. And she's like, no. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're too intelligent. Um, I, you're, you're my smartest child, or at least I believe you are, and you're the most driven. If you don't go to college, I'm not going to ever speak to you again. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, well, if I go to college, I'm not going to a community college. Right. And she said, well, then I don't know what to tell you because I'm not signing any student loans because she had her own loans because my mom has three fucking degrees. She damn near has a PhD. Right. And so I was like, all right, well, then I'm not going to college. So I went to a community college. I saw it. I was like, I'm not going to this shit. Like, this is a waste of my time. I might as well just go save some money, go to L.A., be a PA, and work my way up. Like, that's the way you make it in that city. You just have to be there long got to grind. And my mom was like, no, that's a stupid plan. Go to college. I was like, all right, well, look, I'm going to find a college that I like. I had gotten into Columbia College, Chicago. But they had a pilot program where basically from the moment you start college, you could um, be in the film program and take out cameras and shoot stuff. But my grades weren't good enough because in high school I was bored and I didn't care about it. Mm. And so I graduated with a 2.7 GPA in high school. So my mom was like, 
I, well, I'm not paying for you to go to another school. If you go to Columbia, I went to it. It's my alma mater. I'll pay for that. I was like, I'm okay. not going there because they say I can't touch a camera mm-hmm. for two years. That means it'll be 2010 and I'll be 20 and I have, wouldn't have not shot on a, like a real camera. Like, that's stupid. So we went to the Illinois Institute of Art. Um, shout out um, to the lady that worked there. She showed me around and I was like, so how, like, how do your film students work? She's like, oh, well, once you pass your first intro courses, like, you can basically start, like, renting and taking out equipment as long as you don't break it mm. um, and you're using it for school projects. I was like, hmm, <laughs> I could shoot some music videos yeah. in the hood with all of the hood rappers I know and make some money while I'm in college. Um, and then I, I was like, all right, I want to go here. And then I applied. I didn't get the loans. And they were like, you know what? If you pay $400 a month and you give us, like, 1600 or $3,200 up front, well, you can co- I'm sorry, you can go to school. You just have to pay us four hundred and like thirty thirty nine dollars a month. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck. So I went. I got a I got a job at Old Navy, and then basically I begged my uncle Michael to give me like the other half of the money for me to go to school. He was like, all right, cool, go to school. And then my mother was like, I'm not gonna pay for it. I was like, look, if you pay for this, I promise you, I will go to school and I will get straight A's for the entire time I'm in school. Okay. Now imagine somebody with a 2.7 GPA saying, I'm going to get straight A's. Big commitment. And she, she was like, no, you're not. I was like, no, I'm serious. If you, if you pay for me to go to school, look me in my eyes, I'm going to get straight A's for the entire time I'm in college and I will graduate with honors. And she was like, all right, you're lying. I'm like, no, listen to me. I'm not going to go to a community college. So you're either going to spend the rest of your life being mad at me or you're going to sign the papers for these loans and I'm going to go and I'm going to get straight A's and I'll make sure that I pay my own school bills to go to school. Of course. She was like, all right. And literally, I got like three B's. I got three B. I think I got three B's and a B minus. Right. And I graduated with a 3.897 whatever GPA and, and this I graduated time, with honors. And this whole time while you're going to and school. And I cried the first B I got. The first B I got, I swear to God, bro, I cried like a fucking baby, bro. Did you think she was going to stop paying? No, it wasn't even about that. It was just like, it, like once I set my mind to it. Right. And actually, I had went, because also at the Illinois Institute of Art, you can go year round. So, like, they, they do quarters. So, like, if you want to go a regular college life, you just go for three quarters and take the summer quarter off. I went for literally three and a half years straight and graduated. And I got my first B, like, two and a half years into college. So, imagine you get, like, th- and don't get me wrong, I got some A minuses, but they're still A's. Still whatever. A's. So, I was like, whatever, it's still A's. But, literally, I got my first B, and I think I got my first B in... I think it was in cinematography class. Really? Of all yeah, things? Yeah, yeah. But, but looking back now, I get why I got a B. I just didn't under... My teacher, his name was Michael Wright. He's a film legend, Chicago film legend. Wow. Great guy, great human being. I think um, he was so charismatic that it made it hard for you to really understand some of his concepts and his teachings. Um, because he was just like this smooth, older, like charismatic, like he kind of like Jesse Williams, yeah. like like guy. So he was much more of like a philosopher, and be like, uh, you know, like he said, like he said to me one one time in class, because I brought him something, and he was like, "This looks too real," and I was like, "What are you talking about? Like, this is what we here to do. We in film class, like we supposed to be filming." He's like, "If I want a reality, I would look outside my window. Your job is to be a filmmaker and to tell me a story." 
if I wanted reality, I would look outside my window. So he's more of like a psychological yeah, type. Yes, he's not really yeah, teaching you the yeah, actual but, test. But he was though. But it's like imagine this person like explaining like lighting concepts and like right. and lumens and 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 understanding f stops and shutter speeds and all this stuff. I didn't conceptually understand it right. until I started shooting music videos and I had to light all my own music videos and I was like, oh, this is what he means when this light has to go here. Oh, this is what he means when I'm shooting a a, a day for night scene and I need to make it look like it's daytime in the room even though it's nighttime. Right. I have to turn the lights to this temperature and make sure that they're overly exposed and overly bright so you believe it's a, it's actually bright. So it was like so I understand why I got to be in retrospect, but I cried like a baby. Well, and my it's mom hugged me and she said it's okay. I didn't even think you would make it this far with, wow. without getting a B. And I got like three or four Bs for the rest of college. Well, it's fascinating because even though you didn't get an A, clearly you learned a lot. If you can remember the teacher's name and everything that you learned in the class. Let's fast forward a little bit. How do you get out here to L.A.? Uh, my cousin Brittany and her boyfriend. Well, okay, my cousin Brittany went to film school in Columbia College, Chicago, okay. where I was going to go. But she wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a filmmaker where I'm shooting, producing, directing. So she got into a pilot program in L.A. where they basically allow her to work for a studio and she could write for a studio, but she had to live in L.A. and she could go and intern there. And, and they would I think they would even pay her or something like that wow. or something like that where she got to work at the studio. So she called me one day and was like, if I get into this program, do you want to move to L.A. with me and my boyfriend? Because we don't necessarily have enough money to survive out there on our own. But I know you want to go there. So if it's the three of us, we can just go. We'll split everything evenly three ways. And I was like, all right, that's fine with me. And and she was like, so if I get it, then we're going. And I was like, all right, cool, we're going. So I literally, um, I was like, all right, cool. Well, once you let me know, then I'll start saving the money. But I started saving a little bit before. Right. She let me know she was she got it, and I was like, cool, I'm going to L.A., I'm moving to L.A. Told my job, like, yeah, I'm moving to L.A. in three months, like, and they all literally stopped giving me work hours. <laughs> so I was like, fuck, so I couldn't make any money. So my uncle was like, yo, I just, I'm finna sell this house and buy, like, this eight-bedroom house and all stuff. Help me fix it up and do, like, like you know, hardware stuff around the house, and I'll give you $100 a day, you come help me out. So I just literally went and helped him out as much as I could. I shot, like, six music videos in three months, and I sold my car. I had $5,200. I bought my plane ticket. I put my shit in a UPS box. I shipped it. And I flew out here. And my first rent was like, it was $500 a month. Nice. And when I got out here, I basically didn't have a job. I didn't know anybody, but I had money saved. But my rent was only $500 a month. I had five grand saved. I was like, all right, cool. At the minimum, if I don't overspend and I spend $300 a month, I can live off $300 a month if I go and buy all my own food and I cook all my own food. Mm-hmm. And rather than me doing stuff for entertainment, I just go on walks or I'll like buy a beer or get a drink. Yep. So that's what I did for literally a whole year. And then I was like, if I can if I can shoot more music videos in the meantime, at the minimum, if I save $3,500, I know that I have seven months of rent paid. So I was like, I just have to make it to the year long period. And then I'll then by then it should figure itself out. Right. And then basically I, I ran out of money. Um, I got a job bagging groceries like month nine, month 10. Then my buddy Brian Foster, um, shout out to Brian. I went to college with him. Brian, it's funny, I love Brian. So there's no disrespect to Brian, but Brian was one of the people who told me when I left that I was going to fail and come back. Really? Because he's like, bro, you're not, you don't have enough money. You're going out there with not enough money. You're moving out there on a whim. Like, you're going to be back here in six months. And I was like, nah, you don't know me, bro. I'm going to, I'm going to go. So he got me a job at full screen, which is where we wind up working. Oh, and wow. that is how I started working at full screen. 
So did he work at full screen? Yeah, he worked at full screen. Oh, he got okay. me a job. He basically talked to Phil. I met with Phil. I actually didn't get the job. And then Phil was like, well, actually, I got more salary for two more spots. Do you still want the job? So I started working at full screen because I was like, you know what? It's a digital talent manager and working with YouTube. But I work with YouTube already because I shoot music videos for, uh, for rappers. Right. So I was uploading their music videos, doing their thumbnails, doing their descriptions anyways, before I even knew that it was like a thing you could get paid for. So I was like, cool, I can still do this, still shoot music videos, make some money, and I can pay all my bills and be fine. And I did that for six years. And then at the end of me working at full screen, like uh, probably two years before the end, I started Hoops and Brews with Pavi. Yep. And that's kind of how the whole podcast stuff got here. But like everything before is really what set all of that up. Like the, right. the last six years was just like us just doing it more than everybody else. Like we put out like... Between him and I alone, we put out 6,000 clips. Yeah, now, if you include all the player interviews, the Clippers stuff, the coverage, LA Sparks, we've generated 10,000 clips between two people in six years. So Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really incredible how much you've done with Hoops and Brews, and it was really fascinating to hear the background, yeah. kind of how you got there, because all that stuff I had no idea about. Yeah. You know, you kind of really, yeah, everybody's that. always like, oh, you <laughs> talk too much. I'm like, yeah, but it's never anything that is of value to you. Right, like, but I think it's hugely valuable to me. It's really interesting to understand. Sounds man. terrible, but I don't mean it that way. I just mean it like it's like I can still converse with people without having to like tell everybody my soul, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, of course, but I think especially for the viewers, it's important to understand that, yeah. especially being out here in Hollywood, people feel like you have to come from the, the strongest of means, man. When I was first an intern at UTA, I mean, there were 13 people in my internship team Nine of them went to freaking Ivy League colleges. They all went to Yale and Harvard and Brown. One girl went to Iowa, but her cousin, who worked at the agency and was one of the highest ranked mm -hmm. agents, everyone had an in. Mm -hmm. The Hollywood entertainment industry is so gatekeeped and so guarded mm -hmm. that it's so important to highlight stories of people who just grinded their fucking ass off and got to the top. That's how it really works here. Mm -hmm. You know? You told me to watch uh, something on Netflix called The Black Godfather, mm -hmm. and I did, and I checked it out, and it was incredibly inspiring, you know. And if you haven't seen it, it's pretty simple. It's the uh, the story of what's his name again? Uh, I forgot. Him and his lovely wife just got robbed. Actually, she got murdered, yeah, she actually. got she got killed. It um, was super sad. Oh my god! It'll come to me in a second. Yeah. But the point is, it was a guy who had uh, a massive impact on pretty story. much every black figure in entertainment politics and sports from about the 1980s on and it's important to understand that those stories are really important because it starts from it's having about clarence avon clarence avon exactly clarence avon. and it's really important to understand how one person can impact an entire generation mm -hmm. and i really see you as that type of person Thank and from the day i met you you've been the that. same genuine voice and you've always worked really hard to really uplift and support the people that you care about and i want to talk to you a little bit about black people in the entertainment industry mm -hmm. today and kind of where you see that yeah. going uh in terms of what though you got to be a little bit more specific. i mean look so we got check out Issa Rae for example yeah. right she's one of the first people to really yeah. break through and be able to make her yeah. own stuff childish gambino yeah Don i'm not gonna lie i remember guy. when Issa Rae first signed that deal with hbo max yep and i and not to be a hater not even to sound like a hater but i was like yeah whatever that show like it probably won't even get made exactly because at that point in time I give HBO Max credit. They were they were pioneers in the space, or HBO was at least in the sense of like they were one of the first major 
companies that were official and legit where like they were Hollywood companies that reached out to digital creators to say, Hey, right. what ideas do you have? And let them. So I, re- so I remember, I legitimately remember I was at full screen back when we were on the, on the old Culver lot in the, in building K I believe. And by the white tables and somebody was like, man, Issa Rae, the awkward black girl show it actually might've been Daryl Big Bear Andrews, by the way, RIP Daryl Big Bear Andrews. Um, he, I wouldn't be where I where I am today, um, and, and not saying without him, but without um, meeting someone as genuine as him, because he was one of the first people that I met that was black in this industry that just kind of did whatever the fuck he wanted to, but his value was so in the people that he knew and the things that he was able to cultivate to where it didn't matter what he did. Like right. he worked at full screen. Um, unfortunately he passed away of a stroke, like right after he had his first oh, son. RIP. Um, yeah. But, but like full screen did a thing with Sway and King tech called the wake up show yeah. where they did it live. And that was all like Daryl's like brainchild because he believed in black artists and black creators, um, especially in the hip hop side. So because George Strompolis at full screen really loved hip hop, Daryl knew all the hip hop acts and basically mm-hmm. were bringing them in and try to sign them. Daryl's the reason why I met um, Tiny Lister, R.I.P. Debo um, um, from you know from Friday. Like I have a picture of him. Literally, yeah. I was like, "Yo, can we take a picture?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Can you fake like you choking me like you on Friday?" He was like, <laughs> "Fake!" and grabbed my neck. And literally, it's the picture of him with his like arm around my neck, and I'm like this. But he literally like <laughs> tried to choke me out. I was like, "Thank you." Like I I understand. Right. Um. And and literally, Daryl just did whatever he wanted to. He believed early he was smoking weed in the parking lot he was he wasn't necessarily loud he didn't necessarily show up to all of the meetings but no but his job was never in question because he would always bring some level of some experience whether it be like helping george to set up the swing king mm-hmm. tech thing or having e40 come through the office or having tiny lister come through the office or having all of these black creatives that he was trying to get full screen to really invest in and work in come through the office right. and he showed me that like you can do whatever the fuck you want to do in this town as long as you're not assaulting anybody degrading people and you work hard yeah and, and like you, and, yeah. You've, and you've always been the type to bounce to the beat of your own drum man i remember yeah. the first day we were in the office i was listening to you we it was like the second or third meeting we had remember we had those tuesday meetings with the whole team to be like me you michael jonathan everybody and you got in this huge argument with Michael, and I just couldn't believe it because, dude, I was probably um, saying something fucking stupid. He was, but it wasn't really the point, man. I had my only other job had been at UTA, mm. which is as clean cut mm. business as possible. Mm. And to see you just be so like real and authentic with him. He's my protege, though. Right, but but it doesn't. No, really, but but just, it doesn't. No, but it doesn't matter if he's your nah, protege. No, nah, it does matter because <laughs> I was because Mike is one of the few people, and he'll tell you this that when he started working at full screen. I was like, yo, bro, you like, like, yeah, people think you're a little weird and you're a little awkward, but like, if you want to be the greatest talent manager ever, you can do it. Like, you can be the Michael, his name is Michael Gordon. It's like, you can right. be the Michael Jordan of this shit. I told him that from like early on. So, but wait, so, wait, wait, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, when wait, we have wait, wait. actual differences, I'm not talking to him as like, yo, you're my boss. I'm talking to you as in like, yo, Remember who the fuck trained you. Thomas. And not saying... That's all I'm saying. Thomas, you're missing the point. The point is you treated everyone that way. Well, good. Fuck them. Yes, but you're... you're, Exactly, but you're missing the point. What's the worst you can do? Fire me? No one in... Not even no one in entertainment. Fire me? Oh, I got to go find another job. 
how I never find another job in this town. Not even no one in entertainment. No one in the business world to that point I had seen treated anyone like that. And it was incredibly inspiring to me for you to sit there and keep it as real with that. I don't give a fuck about none of these white people's egos or feelings. And that included Bo and all those other motherfuckers that we work with and that we met. Yeah, I know. I was considerate (laughs) of what their role and their duty was. But at the end of the day, as a creative, and this is also the point, because my biggest issue with them was... They use my creativity and my um, likeness and my ability to communicate with creators when it benefited them. Right. But when it didn't benefit the bottom line because it might cost more money or it might just be something that's more equitable toward the partner or it might just be fair. It's like, oh, well, we can't do that. That to me defies logic. Because if you're in a business, especially the business that we were in, where our sheer value proposition, our sheer sales pitch is that we have value propositions and you eliminate all of the actual value propositions, you're fucking lying. So stop fucking lying. Get off your lazy ass. We're making all this fucking money. All everybody got fat off of that shit. If you work there, yep. even me, like I made, I didn't make a ton of money, but I still made money. Like I made money off of uh, what six nine hundred million dollar sale. Yeah, it was money. It wasn't a lot, but it was still money. Right. So that's, that was my whole point. It's like, what are you gonna do? Fire me? Then find somebody else to do what I do. You can't. Because I'm irreplaceable because the things that I know, everybody else doesn't know. Right. Because everybody else, even at that point, hadn't shot hundreds of pieces of content. They were all just fucking assistants and all the other shit. None of you motherfuckers ever picked up a camera. None of you bitches ever edited, used Premiere Pro. Don't tell me how this thing goes when I know how it goes. And I know how much time and what's equitable and what's not. And that was really my fight and my beef. It wasn't about black or white. I didn't give a fuck if you were black or white. It was just like... If we're gonna if we're gonna do what we say we're gonna do, let's have an honest conversation and don't you know piss on me and tell me that it's raining. And that's what they, happened a lot in those meetings because it was better for us to fuck our partners over in order for us to earn money. When in reality, if we help them make more money, we make more money. And I'm totally aware of that, which is one of the many reasons that I left. But what I think you're touching on, which is kind of the point I'm trying yeah. to get to, which is when it was needed the blacker parts of you or the things that helped you understand and relate to creators in a way that many other people couldn't. Would you agree to that? I don't even think it's not about the, I don't, it's not about the blacker parts. It is a huge part of that. I don't like that because it's only one me. That's why I hate when people, when I do hoops and brews or when I did hoops and brews, people are like, oh, you trying to be the black skip bay, black, black skip Fuck them. They don't, they don't own shit. They never owned a motherfucking thing that they created. They don't own anything. If that shit end tomorrow and they get fired, they don't own it. I don't care if it's worth nothing when they're done with it. They don't own it. But if, but if, so, no, but, so, so, but if so we're going to have no, a conversation. So listen to my point. Listen to my point. I'm my point is not, it has nothing to do with being black. What I saw was I'm around all of these people that aren't like me. Cool. That's perfectly fine. Am I going to be the motherfucker that's going to run up behind people and kiss their ass? Or am I just going to continue to be me and let the chips fall where they may? I can only be myself. And that's the difference between me and a lot of other motherfuckers. People want to change themselves to be a certain way around other people. And I meet all the time. And that's the and that's the quote unquote problem. But it's not a problem if you know what you're getting when you get it. Like they knew what they were getting. They knew when they put me in those rooms and they could have fired me many a times and they didn't. You know what you get when you when you have me come into that room. Otherwise, don't put me in a room. 100%. 100%. It has nothing to do with me being black. Because if I was white, nobody would be like, oh, well, you're just rambunctious because you're white. No, that's bullshit. I'm rambunctious because I'm rambunctious. 
I'm a critical thinker because I'm a critical thinker. Me being black has nothing to do with it because I see these white motherfuckers do it all the time and no one ever associates it with their color. But the fact that no one associates with their color is all the more reason that it matters that you're black. But that's not really the point I'm trying to say. It does. Wait, 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 wait. Let me make my full point. I guess. The full point I'm trying to say is just because you're being honest about it and you don't perceive it that way, other people do. And this is what I really want to ask you. Do you feel, because I definitely do, that that same level of honesty and you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. pure yeah. abrasiveness kind of held you back. You were one of the first employees at the company. No, and everyone else who was hired at your level yeah. when you started, by the time the company sold, got a much bigger piece of the pie than you, right? Yeah, what do they do now? No, wait, wait, wait. No, That's, what do they do now? We'll get there, we will get there. Let me get my point. Everyone had a bigger piece of the puzzle. Do you think it was that same honesty that allowed people to feel like they could kind of push you down and hold you in a position? Because you know damn well you were smarter than a lot of people who were higher than you in that company. You had a lot more experience than a lot of people at that company. And I don't think you were given the respect you deserve. And I personally think a huge part of that was because you were black, even if you don't see it that way. I, I'm going to be honest. I never gave a fuck. Fair. Fuck them. I'm not even joking. I never gave a fuck. I, I, I cared at first. When I first started working there, I was like, damn, why are these white people getting chosen over me? Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck all of it. It doesn't matter. Like, at the end of the day, this is not mine. This is someone else's. Right. So as long as this is someone else's, it doesn't matter. Right. So that's why when we started Hoops and Brews... And everybody was like, why are you doing this podcast shit? I was like, because like, it's ours and like we own it. I've told Pappy very early on, like, I thought like our fourth month of doing podcasts, I was like, we can make some money off of this. We should incorporate and become a business. Right. And like f- three months later, we did. And we've been a business ever since. But I literally, we were doing it for four months, probably even getting like 10,000 views. And I was like, this could actually be like a moneymaker in a business. And like I have, a, I still have plans for the company, and I was like, and this could one day make us a couple hundred million dollars. I used to tell him that all the time. Right. And he and I kind of feel bad because I feel like I implanted that idea in his head. Yeah. Um. But I put it on both of us for us not getting there. Right. Um. So it's not it's not a him or me thing, but like I literally thought we could have. It's just I don't know. Part now now as a entrepreneur, I feel being black more than I felt when I was working underneath a white Ooh, man. All right, tell me that. Tell me Be, that. Because as an entrepreneur, like there is no investment. Like when mm-hmm. I'm working for white people, they handing me money. Right. They're paying me for a service. So fine, I'll do my service. But when I'm working for myself, ain't no motherfucker just handing me money. Let's talk yeah. about that. You know, one thing that I find really fascinating about you is you have some brilliant ideas mm-hmm. for apps, innovative mm-hmm. business plans. Let's talk a little bit about those, but let's talk a little bit more about what needs to happen for you to make them a reality. You know, you, you mentioned capital and that mm-hmm. ability to get money, especially as a mm-hmm. black person, is a humongous factor. Mm-hmm. You know, I just stopped working for myself recently. Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, people say is, man, why would you stop working for yourself? You're making great money. And I said, yeah, I was, but... You don't understand how expensive it is to run a company. Every employee you have, triple their salary, that's how much they're going to cost you. If you want to grow, I tell people, I wouldn't start another business unless I had at least two, five, ten million dollars in startup capital. See, and I disagree with that preposition. You can't compete? No, why? Because tell me how you can because, compete without because that you're kind talking of money. to a person that took a zero took a zero dollar business a time when me and Pavy used to literally take out money from our 
ATM account right. and go and deposit it into the H&B Media account so the so it doesn't continue to overdraw over whatever. Right. I've put personally thousands of dollars of my own money into making that thing. And that thing went from being a $0, a $0 business to being worth six figures, seven figures, depending upon how you view it. So, so my but there point, is no, a but massive wait, but stop, there. But stop. But this is my point. And this is also my point with a lot of other people that are in my life that get frustrated with me. Because I tell people all the time, I have been perfectly comfortable being an entrepreneur. But while being an entrepreneur, I knew that I still needed a fucking job. Yeah. And a lot of motherfuckers don't understand. Unless you are a supreme entrepreneur and you're clearing whatever, whatever, you should still have another job or another source of income. And the reason why you should do that is because your entrepreneurship should never be the very thing that is a thing you rely on unless it has taken a life form of its own financially. A hundred percent. Things agree. take a life form of them of their own socially and 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 culturally, but that doesn't mean it happens economically. That's the same reason why Versus is trying to put it behind a paywall. Right. Because it's not making money. But they don't want to put a bunch of ads in front of it, all this other stuff. So right. oh fuck. Well, let's put it behind a paywall. Then people complain about the paywall. Now you gotta go back out because culturally and socially you still need to promote the product in order for you to make money right right so my thing is this i've always had a job or some other form of a job right i technically am working for someone else but i've been consulting for four years so i technically still work for myself right. and when i wasn't working for myself which was last year i was an employee of the company that i own right so I, so I understand people's thought process behind it, but it's also a thing of like, how much do you want it? And that's just the thing. Like, I just want things a lot more than other people. And whereas other, and not saying that you don't want it, not saying it at all, because I understand the frustrations because we've had this conversation at nauseum about the business stuff. But I don't tell people not to try. I just say, if you try and you realize that you need things that you can't provide, then just save the idea. And move on to the next idea. Right, right. And I want to stop you there because I think that's what I'm really trying to say. You have a lot of really great ideas. Yeah. Like um, you had a honeycomb app idea, yeah. right? I won't spell the details because yeah. I know that shit's under NDA. Yeah. But the point is, what's stopping you from making that huge? I have a feeling money. it's a fuck ton of money, isn't money. it? Money. But, but that's the whole point I'm saying. Money and also... You need capital no, to start up to make money it Money and trust because I don't trust... I'm going to be honest. I don't trust white people. Yeah, yeah um, you probably shouldn't. And I have generated and created a lot of ideas. I've made a lot of white people millions and tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. If you look at the work that I did affecting people's overall like bottom line or their overall margin, probably tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, even just working at full screen and doing that whole optimization thing, like that was a huge selling point for them of selling their company. And I built that whole fucking thing, planned it all out, did the deck, and they still gave me a regular ass title. So it, but, but also at the same point in time, you can ask anyone that was around me while I was at full screen. I kept saying everybody people can like I like the, the reason why I'm not mad. They didn't promote me was because I got a chance to go to Harvard Business School for free. But but way better. Right. Way fucking better. And I got paid. I got laid. I drank a lot. I had fun. I made a bunch of history off of the camera because actually I was the first person at full screen to sign an actor that was that was actually casted in a network show. Right. I signed Richie Loco. Yep. Richie Loco went on to be in HBO's Insecure, speaking of yep. Issa Rae, coming full circle. Shout to Masad. And he wound up being on the show until the finale. Now, he dropped me um, from being his manager the week he got the gig, which was unfortunate, but I got him casted in there. Yeah. I did. It was facts. It happened. 
Right, but but that's exactly the point I'm making, man. You did all these things and you didn't get promoted, and you cannot tell me but that I it had nothing to do free. with being black. But I went to school, and for that's free. good, and that is a great mentality, and that's exactly what you should have. Yeah, but if I only look at my color, then that's all I see in front of. It's me. not just color, right? Because it's the amount of effort and it's the work that you took to get there, and it's the great mentality that you have to understand and not let those things hold you back. But what I want to understand and I want us to talk about is that's not really acceptable today. You can't be that much better. I know as black people we say you got to be 10 times better to get the same shit, but that's not going to work forever. We have to find a way to harvest all the talent we have and make something more out of it, man. I mean, just between you and me, we know so many people in this town with brilliant ideas and great opportunities, and they're not getting the same shit. Look at Jack. Jack is doing an amazing job of running his business. I'm going to have him on soon, yeah. right? He should be respected and seen the same way that half of these management companies but are, he is. and they're not. To his people. To his people. But, 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 that, but that's all you need but, to stop. No. But stop. Perception stop, is reality. Stop. Listen, to me, listen to me. Listen to me. Make a point. If I didn't go out for coffee with you on right. your first day yep. and say, what do you want to do besides work here at full screen, right? Right. And you say, well, I want to do sports content. I want to maybe do podcasts or some kind of broadcast or whatever. Right. And I was like, cool. Use this as your launch pad to do it. Yeah. Right? So fuck all of the other bullshit, right? You say, oh, well, we know a bunch of other talented people. Cool. That's all we need to do is continue to know other talented black people and build a network. And then eventually, when you know enough good people, one of these motherfuckers are going to pop. And they're going to come back and be like, bro, I remember you helped me out. You got a good idea. I go back and grab people all the time for opportunities that, that I remember them for doing a thing. Yes, you so do. the only way we can do it is to just do it. I don't complain about opportunities. I don't complain about shit. I just go out and do it. And if I just looked at my color all day long, it was like, yo, I'm black. I'm a nigga. They're not going to look. I don't give a fuck about none of that. When I came out here, I spoke slang. I still speak slang. But I don't give a fuck about speaking slang because if I wanted to speak proper English, English, I can speak it and I can write it. My mother's an English teacher, but I don't need to. I can use whatever colloquialisms I want to use as much as I want to be loquacious at all day fucking long. And if you don't know what the words are, look them up. But my point is, if I just looked at my color as being like whatever, I don't care about that because I'm better than the next. I'm better than everybody. That's the way I look at life and not better as a person. Right. But I'm better. More talented. Because I'm no, not more talented. I'm better because I'm going to work harder. I'm going to learn how to fucking figure that thing out. I'm going to watch YouTube videos when I don't understand something. Even if it's fixing my car, I'll watch a YouTube video, learn about it. Even if I don't fix it myself, like, oh, this is too complicated for me to fix, but at least I understand the way it works, right? Most people are so surface level with everything that they want to do. So if I just focused on one idea, if I just focused on full screen, where the fuck would I be right now? Are any of those other <laughs> no white idea. people that I work with legends like I am for doing what I've done? Are any of them looked at as being pioneers uh, and, and helping inspire thousands, of, if not millions, of black kids? Because whoever I helped inspire going to help inspire somebody else and inspire somebody else and inspire. None of the motherfuckers can say that. All they did was spend their time taking and taking and taking. And I gave the world a lot of shit, a lot of fucking content, a lot of memories. And that is what matters to me, not the money, because as long as I'm not homeless and I got a person like you to be like, bro, if you need a place to crash, you can crash and I'm good, then I'm good. Like the money is whatever because I still own my shit. I'm still a legend and the motherfucker's still working for other people, taking salaries, and I'm still working for myself, consulting and making moves. And although it might not be glamorous working for myself, right? 
I still have other stuff that I can do to make money. Right. And that is the point that I want to let every black entrepreneur to know. If you bagging groceries, I don't give a fuck. Keep bagging groceries. Be the best grocery bagger you ever saw. Meet every person you ever saw. Thank them. Ask them for their name. Because one day they might see you again. And they might remember it. I'm dead ass. Like, you never know who you meet. And no, your job don't matter. None of that shit fucking matters. I, it's all excuses. And the, and the difference between us and white people or them is they live in a world where they don't have excuses and if they make excuses people can lift them up from their excuses we live in a world where we don't have excuses and we make the excuse that we can't start so that's the excuse because oh i can't start because nobody's gonna back me up yeah but if you start and you fail then you can back up the next person that starts and help them not to fail right and that's the only way we're gonna get forward all this other stuff is just semantics and us like talking ourselves mentally out of getting to where we want to be like if i want if i if i didn't give a fuck enough to go out and work and drive an hour to my uncle's house every weekend for 12 weeks straight to, for t- you know two days a weekend to make a hundred dollars a day when my job that i was making 825 and 850 at an hour wouldn't wouldn't give me hours that oh you leaving we don't need to pay you anyway go ahead be hollywood big shot right right i would still have my black ass in chicago probably be dead or selling drugs or doing some crazy illegal shit so i was like yo how can i get to five grand in four months i did whatever i needed to do i didn't say oh it's a white guy out there like no i just (laughs) did what the fuck i needed to do and that's the only way you can go Right, 100%. That's and I think I think that's very well said. I guess what I'm really trying to say is when you say things like, I don't trust white people, I get it. But for me, I believe the real future is finding a way to work with it together. We can't not trust white people. We, we can? No, we, we can't because we need to have that access to the capital to do things at the highest level. We have some of the most creative people in the culture. All of American culture, all that shit's made by black people. Do they get the credit? No. Every dance on TikTok that they're making a billion dollars on Fortnite reselling, all that shit is black people. Almost every studio, idea, movie, black people are big portions of what makes American culture. And they're not getting the credit. But, we are, but we're not wait, wait, America, wait, wait, wait. though, bro. Wait, like, what, we also we, have to understand that, bro. We are a small chunk of this motherfucker. We are 13% of the population. Exactly. We 13% are of 350 million and we are people. 98% of the culture. It doesn't fuck the culture. What is the culture other than a white man saying, nigga, dance, and I'm going to pay you? Well, the rest of the culture No, is, no, no. Answer no, the no, question. No. What is the culture other than I'm, a white man saying, nigga, I'm do this, and I'm going to pay you? the question. Go ahead. Honest. Do it. Nigga dance, I'm going to pay you is definitely a part of it, but that's not everything. Wait, 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 wait. Explain wait. to me something that I, ain't. I'm trying to. Look, everything you see on the news as a part of this culture, almost all of it starts from black people. But it's very much something that we can harness and monetize from. The, the world is not the way it used to be. The gatekeepers that used to stop us from being able to really own and control our own shit, like you're doing, like you just went on this whole rant about how you own your own shit, that wasn't a fucking opportunity or ability 20, 15 years ago. The idea that you own and run your own thing, that you can have your own branch on culture. You can make a podcast today. You can monetize it today. And we need to be doing everything we can but to support that. Who is the person that monetizes your podcast? 
for well for you. I had no 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 podcasting. I had this literal argument with my homie the other day because I told him podcasting is dead. He said, "Bro, what the fuck is this shit about you retiring?" Literally, he right. just went to a podcast convention. He works for a podcast company. They're selling like seventy five to hundred grand ad spots on their across their sure. podcast, right? And I was like, "Yeah, man, podcasting is dead." And he's like, "Bro, what the fuck are you talking about?" I'm like, "That's why I retired." He's like, "You're wrong." I'm like, "How am I wrong?" It's like podcasting isn't dead. It's just getting started. I said, "No, it's not. It's just it's just getting started." To the point where the industry can monetize it. And if the industry can monetize it, then it's dead. Period. Because all of these new podcast companies and networks are MCN 2.0, our record label 2.0. You're not going to be able to operate in the future and own your IP and make podcasts and make money because you're going to need to go and find you a distributor of advertisements. The white people control advertisements. The advertising market is controlled by the white Americans and the fucking pharmaceutical industry in America. That Look on any fucking app. You're going to see a million fucking pharmaceutical uh, uh, companies and you're going to see all of these shits that's owned by white people. If you want to make money with your product, you have to work with white people, which means exactly. that you are beholden to white people, which means False. that when they throw you, and that's cap, that's cap, False. because when they throw you this check and they pay you and you take that money, you can't not do what they don't want you to do. Otherwise, you get fired and you don't get that check. Dude, there are back. I agree with what you're trying to say with the whole advertising bit, but the advertising is not the only way. Advertising money. runs America. Do you understand? Yeah, that? I wasn't. I went to school for advertising. Okay, I'm so, very so highly aware this, of that. Because how can you say this? Well, Even I'm as someone who's worked on YouTube and we spend our whole time yes. programming people to watch stuff we want them to watch. We don't own those companies. Because there are a million ways to monetize today. And dude, look at Patreon. People are making millions and millions of dollars and on owned Patreon. By a white man. And if you say something wrong on Patreon, that white man is gonna kick your black ass off of it and say you can't make no more money. Of course not, but there's nothing stopping you from getting those direct descriptions the same way. Bro, you used to not have the you option just to told make me money. You didn't in- want to build you just told me that it's gonna take you five million dollars to build something of your own, right? Yeah, so ding, every ding. motherfucker that's on Patreon that's 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 sucking off the tit, and no, it's no disrespect to Patreon. I love Patreon, but every motherfucker that's on these Subscribe to the Patreon. That's sucking off the tit, right? Of whatever that platform is. Yeah. Even think about Amazon uh, 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 web services, right? Right. Let's just say you say some shit somebody don't like, right? And you you don't work or you don't have an Amazon web services subscription, but the company that you work for, technology is built on Amazon web services. Right. And Amazon says, yo, this motherfucker need to shut up or you need to get rid of them. They come to you and they say, yo, shut your ass up. And you say, nah. And then they're just going to get rid of you. They're just going to get rid of you because all of this shit leads back the same to the same fucking roads. That's what I'm saying. All this shit leads back to the same roads. Unless we buy and build our own shit. And, and no, Don't stop. That's no, my point. You know, <laughs> Keep no, going. No, because you're missing what I'm saying. I'll make my point out. Because don't black me. people don't buy black. So because we don't buy black, our value and our dollar is not in black people. That's one of the reasons why Malcolm X and those guys were against segregation. Yep. Because they, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we're against. They were, um, they were pro-segregation. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's one of the reasons why they were anti-integration. Yeah. Because they said once you split up the black dollar and you make it the American dollar, the black dollar doesn't exist anymore because it's just the American dollar. We do not spend with black people. So if you want to say that, cool. But show me a network of where all of these motherfuckers that's black, you know, that's getting all their products from black people and only spending it with black people. You cannot do it without working in some form of capacity with or for the white man. 
I, it just is what it is. So you either choose to build your own shit while you're working towards it and build it while working with them and not giving them a piece of it, which is what I'm talking about when I say I don't trust white people. Because I could easily go to four or six engineers or whatever and be like, yo, sign this NDA. This is the idea I have. And they'll still find a way to fucking weasel my idea, take it and make it their own thing. Versus if I fulfill and figure some shit out on my own and come with a proof of concept you can't argue against copying a proof of concept but you can argue against taking somebody's idea that's what i meant when i say i don't trust white people it's nothing against white people love white people got no problem with them but am i just gonna go and give them my ideas and say hey give me a million dollars for this idea because it can make a billion they gonna think hmm i'll just take your idea nigga and go make a billion dollars without you that's my point because they can do that because the dollar is predicated on white people. It's not predicated on us. And we don't spend with us. We literally don't spend money on black on black stuff. I 100% agree with that. We don't spend money on black stuff. But I think we 100% should. And I think you're kind of making the exact point I'm trying to say. Which is one, you can't just hate white people. We have to work with them because they own a lot of the platforms and manufacturing. But here's the point I'm really trying to say. If you're Dave Chappelle, right? And you have a great idea for a show 10, 20 years ago, and you want to make it you know, a real thing. You have one road. You have to go through the studios that are owned by white people. You have to go get the camera set up that's owned by white people, all that. We live in a world of reality today where you can fund things authentically in ways with black people if that's what you want to do. You're not beholden to one system. You can monetize in a thousand different ways. You don't have to use direct advertising. You can go sell your own ads if you want to go to black companies if that's what you feel. The point I am trying to say is we have more opportunities than we ever have. So this idea that podcasting is dead to me seems very, very silly to me. I feel like we're just funny? at the early stages of and all you guys this are shit. wrong. Why? Because I've been doing it for six years. Of course, which and is why I, I'm talking to you about. And it. I've seen it before. Like, like I said, once the commerce and the ads come into play, the industry is over. Once the ads and the and the MCNs and the commerce around YouTube became a billion dollar industry, YouTube, what it used to be, which was an open platform where people were able to express themselves and do things creatively, it's over. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a lot of hate speech and all that stuff that needs to be yeah. removed. Yeah. And I agree <laughs> with that. It's a lot one, better now. I was one of the people that was flagging all of that stuff right. when I was working at full screen and people was telling me to shut up because it made money. So it makes money, right? Yeah. And as long as it makes money, they'll put a dollar on it and they're going to do whatever they can to increase their margins and increase their profit, which means you get less, they get more. Remember what I said, podcasting as it currently is constructed or was constructed a year ago, two years ago, it's dead. Once companies start throwing around these big figures, the shit is over with, bro. It's over with. Even YouTube. I told people YouTube wasn't going to be the biggest platform or it wasn't going to be like the, the hottest shit by 2025. And we pretty much are almost there. TikTok is just slowly like snail crawling their way to getting there. But once you're able to put up stuff that's unlimited time on TikTok, if I use TikTok, which a lot of people I know that are adults, kids, all this stuff, use TikTok, but they say, I can't watch anything long on it, so I just use it to consume short-form con um, content. Once TikTok gets unlimited views, then who's flocking to YouTube anymore? No, it's, I, I just and, and, no, and, and listen, 100%. having a built-in base means nothing really in these days because... All of those numbers, all of that shit is conflated, inflated. ESPN has been losing a million subscribers a year for the past 20 years. And you would think that they're still as hot as they were when you were a kid, right? But that's because of marketing and advertising. 
and spending money and, and accumulating debt, which is all these in, big entertainment companies do, is they accumulate debt and pass it off to each other so that way they could skirt around whatever they need to. Like the higher you go up, you realize like most of this media shit is like debt. And they just like, yo, I got some debt and some telecom shit I don't want over here. Take it. I disagree with your fundamental premise that the idea that once money starts coming into it, that's when it ends. That's it, when it really it's starts. Fine, you can. Bro, when YouTube really became YouTube, when they started pouring all this money and building out all these factors, I mean, we were at YouTube in pretty early stages. You were even earlier than me. You remember what YouTube was like back then, dude? When I was a scout, I would watch a thousand videos a day. 99% of it was complete dog shit. The quality of that platform has increased dramatically it's, it's with the lie. amount of no, 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 no. David. Dude, there was like Casey David. Neistat David. and like eight David. other people making David. decent content. David. The rest of it was you have trash. To stop. You are Please being tell me programmed by your algorithm. Stop. So you oh only God, see stop. the shit that you think is being good. I watched I was thousands working, no, stop. I was working on YouTube before the fucking out. Al- actually, motherfucker, I was one of the people at full screen analyzing YouTube's algorithm and telling them motherfuckers at full screen how it worked. And you're going to tell so, me the quality of videos were better then than they are I'm now. I'm telling you it's all been the same. Nah. You're just being programmed to better. No, 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 the number no, no. one function when you get trained for YouTube certification is they ask you, what is, the fu- what is the number one function of YouTube? Do you know what it is? It is to serve the right ad to the right viewer at the right time. It's an ad platform, yeah. So it doesn't matter. It's all around ads. Once, that, once YouTube switched over to the one design, because they switched over to the one design so they could better circulate and distribute advertisements. You're the- talking about ad targeting? I'm talking about quality of content. Because you have to understand, David, if, you're, if, you're not, if you don't have a partner program and nobody's making money but you're right. still running ads, right? right? And then you give people, uh, instead of the, the normal iPhone that camera they're shooting and yep. making something that's probably will still be of the same quality and you give them a red camera because they're making money off of it and they immediately go from being a, a creator to being a filmmaker because your tool changes yeah like cameras are tools so once you give people better tools they make better content but the tools are to are, are the thing not the platform not the platform. It's been great content on YouTube from the since since I've since the beginning of YouTube. The money that went into the platform helped to facilitate people getting better equipment, but making the content better has shit, always been and the good, content bro. has increased. And I totally the disagree. The camera quality wait, 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 has wait, wait, increased. Wait, wait. The and audio I, microphones have increased, which the, is the, the production the quality of the content. But that doesn't mean it's better. That just means it's more abundant. I'm so, yes, it's the more same abundant thing with music. And people love quality. to be like, oh well, music is shit now. No, you just don't know what the fuck to listen to. We'll get there. Or your wait, algorithm wait, wait, wait. is saying, this is what you like, so this is what we're going to serve We'll get you. there. I got to make this TikTok point because I totally disagree on TikTok. TikTok's about to roll out 10-minute videos. So we'll see. Maybe you'll end up being right. I totally disagree with the idea that the only reason people don't watch the same shit they watch on YouTube on TikTok is because it's short. People go to TikTok with a completely different viewership experience. They go where they want to sit there, see something, consume, and scroll. When you are watching YouTube, you're making a conscious decision to consume a video. That's, this shit- That's a lie. No, wait. This David, shit- David, you are- TikTok are li- No, listen to work. me. Stop. Because even my new job- my new job, I'm head of post-production for a company right. where we literally take YouTube videos yep. and cut them down and re and reimagine them for, a for, different platforms. for Reels, Instagram, yep. TikTok, and all of that yep. shit. You are not selectively choosing shit when you get on YouTube. Once you are on That's the internet and you, you allow something to track your cookies, 
everything you look on the internet now is being looked at by that website and it's saying how can we serve something that fits this person's interests yep. according to what they look at so 99% of the shit you watch you're not making a conscious decision about that. It's being served to you because we want to put an ad in front of it. So we want you to watch this because you like this kind of shit. You like Casey Neistat. So let's put this Casey Neistat video in front of you so we can put an ad in front of that. And then another one in the middle and another one 20 minutes after that and another one after the video. And then we'll give you another Casey Neistat video. Or actually, usually after your Casey Neistat videos, you like to watch podcasts. We'll serve up your favorite podcast after that because you'll watch more ads if you're watching a podcast than you would watching this 20 minute Casey Neistat video. All of this shit is being programmed. It is all being programmed. And a huge part of that is user experience, which you're ignoring. That's why IGTV doesn't work. Do you remember work. Devin Supertramp? Yeah, I do. Why? Okay, then. He was one of the most high. He's, uh, the quality of his content is still better than 90% of the shit I see on YouTube. And, and? He, was making, and he was making videos in 2012, 2013. Right. And he, uh, the, uh, there are obviously exceptions, but there the, are average exceptions. the average video being made in 2013 is dramatically lower than what's being made today. But we're going to talk about camera. We're talking about the production better, quality. The video. No, let's talk You're about production. You're talking about the production quality. Yeah, we're talking about the production quality. Yes. It's totally different. I disagree with that, though. I, I fund, as a filmmaker, I fundamentally disagree with your premise because I remember shooting on bad cameras yep. and people telling me shit was low quality when, it, when that was the highest quality for that day. So just because you look at it and you're like, this is the best quality does not mean that it was not quality. Fucking how do animals eat food was a piece of shit, but it was a great piece of content, an amazing piece of content. And it actually wasn't shot bad, which is why it was successful. The editing style was good. The production quality was poor, but it was just good enough to hit the zeitgeist of America and people laugh at how animals eat their food. Right. That has nothing to do with the cameras, with the microphone, none of it. It has everything to do with the content and what that video was. And it's not 4K. It might even be 720 right now. But that has nothing to do with it. It's, it, it. You are being programmed. We are all being programmed to look at the shit that we like. You and I were a part of helping to program people to look at the shit that they <laughs> yes, like. Yes, we were. So, so that's why I can't agree with what you're saying because we literally got paid to do it. I still get paid to do it every day. I get paid to take a YouTube video and turn it into a TikTok. And you know what we do when we had a TikTok videos? What? We say, yo, bro, at the end... If you want to watch more of this style videos, go watch the long form video yeah. on YouTube. But then you'll tell me, no, bro, people only come to YouTube because they want to search for what they want to watch. Yes, because I'm programming them on this other platform to go to YouTube. So why don't they stay on that same platform and watch it? Because that's not the viewership habits of TikTok. That's what I'm saying. People go to different platforms for different types of content. But if but you're missing the point. If TikTok yes. does not have a limit, there is no specific type of content. They've baby stepped you into accepting that they create and allow for longer formats of content. Once, watch, remember it's coming. Once they do a UI redesign in about 18 months after they lift the temp, no, listen. Why, would they, why would they redesign the UI? Because they want to make sure that the people that are coming, right, for short form content, right, will tell their friends, yo, I can watch a movie on TikTok now. You should come over to TikTok. So why, why would they redesign their And they'll, and they'll be like, yo, bro, why do I want to go to go to TikTok and watch it? You just swipe up videos. It's like, nah, you can swipe up videos now, but like, if you want to watch long form stuff, you can also go to this part. Exactly. The, dude, the that's same reason why that's YouTube literally put TikTok the point on. I'm making. That's why we got YouTube shorts on one area and different area for normal it's videos. It's not. It's on the same thing. What are you talking about? 
Literally on shorts on the YouTube go app on, right go, now. Go you on could. YouTube right now on your desktop and find a YouTube page that has shorts on it. It's on the same video upload. I'm talking feed. about on the app. The but desktop version stop doesn't. Stop talking count. to me about an app. If we're we're not talking, YouTube is not an app to me. YouTube is a website and a and, and a and a fucking form. Over ninety percent of the content is consumed mobily. So obviously, I'm I talking don't about care the app. about that because I've been on in, in on YouTube since the content wasn't. That's me why too. when you tell me these things, you're only speaking with the knowledge that you have and not what came before you. That's part of why I'm saying Dude. I don't agree with that because you don't know what came before you. And if you did, then I would feel you. But you clearly don't. And I'm not calling you ignorant. And I'm not. I've been listen, on listen, YouTube listen, since listen. 2007. No, listen, stop. That's not stop. my point. But you weren't working in YouTube for since 2007. What's the difference? What, is, what do you mean? It's like asking what's the difference between being a what's an NBA player and being and being a fan. You're either in the game or you're watching. Okay, obviously, yeah, sure, but I'm just Once saying. Once I saw how the YouTube algorithm works and videos get surfaced and all that, I never looked at content the same. Why do you think I was so successful at creating content? Because I know how the algorithm works. Why do you think we were able to reach the goals that we accomplished? Because I know how the algorithm works. Why do you think I went and found a, a YouTube channel that uploaded highlights that weren't being monetized, but they could monetize on other content? Because they had high SEO favor and before then YouTube wasn't upholding the copyright laws. So I went to a guy and I said, yo, you got a YouTube channel with a bunch of content on there. And I was like, bro, yeah, you got all this content, but like, can you make money? He was like, no. All right, cool. Take our original content and then fuck it. Do that. When you take our original content, you make money, we make money. Right. But I knew all of that because I worked on YouTube and I saw that the copyright laws were being skirted and everybody was downloading ESPN and FS1 content. So I said, if, if he puts our stuff on his channel, even if it's as a playlist, people will click on it and look at us like they look at ESPN. And then once it started working, I just ramped up production 100 times and it went full speed. But Boom. I, and but I did it fun. all at the service of the algorithm right? because I understood that this is all being programmed. So when give me you this. Upload this video. You won't just upload this video where it just says Rosie Radio episode three. You're no. gonna exactly. <laughs> gonna do it for the SEO modification, of course, right? Because I understand the algorithm you want as well. Program exactly, and you made a great point there. I want to understand this though, right? And let's wrap. You have a lot of good ideas. Yeah. What does it take to make those reality? What is the difference between you getting your idea from a written platform of oh, here's what I want this app and this idea to be, blah 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 blah. To a reality that millions and millions of people can consume. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Like I don't. Okay. I, I'm not. I put it this way. I told Pavi, who's my business partner and an artist I've been working with since he was eight. Well, since for what it's been like 14 years. I told him this early on in the 2000s, right after he moved into LA. I said, Pavi, you do realize that nobody. You know, I, I told him. I said, once I realized that. Nobody that's the greatest filmmaker alive ever became the greatest filmmaker alive in their 20s. I stopped being frustrated and having anxiety about being a filmmaker in my right. 20s. Most of the greatest filmmakers make their greatest films in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and sometimes 70s. Yeah. So once I figured that out, that's when I was like, all right, cool. I can go and be an entrepreneur and get a job and work and do all this other shit and not have to worry about it because I'll be a filmmaker when I'm in my 30s. So I'm not worried about the apps and all the other shit. It'll all come together. Like I'm not planning anything as long as I put in the work right. and continue to make sure that the thing is done and there are no excuses and I have my proof of concept. Nobody can take what I have and remake it. But the problem is black people don't want to like I've been I've been spending hours watching InDesign videos, figuring out how to use Adobe InDesign. Mm -hmm. Right. 
but it takes hours of dedication to get there. So once I get my proof of concept built, which I'm like 50% because I reimagined it, okay, it'll be closer. And then it'll be something where you can pull it up on your phone and like literally use the, the model, right? right? Prototype. And then, and then if you got the prototype, then cool. I'll go and then I'll start trying to take it to sell to people. But I'm not in a rush. Like Kanye West said in the interview that he did with the Breakfast Club in 2013, he was like, um, he was like the Yeezy 2. He basically said, it's just one idea that I have. He's like, you know how many ideas I got? Do you know how many fucking ideas I got? The Yeezy 2 is an idea I had from five years ago. I've been doing podcasts since 2014 Mm -hmm. before Hoops and Brews. All this shit I'm doing now is ideas I got from years ago. I got notebooks full of ideas. Right. The fucking app is like one. It's like that's honestly one of the smallest things I have that I've come up with. I got charity ideas, fucking movie ideas, TV show ideas, company. I, I got all kind of shit, but it's all going to take time. But as long as I own my shit, I build my shit and I work vigorously to get my own shit. When it does come time to dance with the white man then I'll make sure I'm dancing on my own terms, which is what I've always done. So I don't need to be your fucking director because honestly, I also slightly disagree with that preface that you have because by the time you started working there, I had made it known to everyone that I didn't want full screen to be my life and that it was never going to be my life and that it was just a tool for me to get to where I want to get to. I'm still a filmmaker. I'm still owning my own media company and I'm not going to be a talent manager forever. So that's part of the reason why I never got elevated because I told them I don't give a fuck about this. I'm going to do the best work I can because I care about creators. Pay me fairly. Pay me fairly. You don't have to give me the title if you don't want to, but pay me fairly and let me keep learning because I got I got I made over 400 grand learning from the best business minds in the whole world, including Peter Chernin. People can't, you can't get that kind of experience in Harvard, especially while making 400 grand and getting drunk and lit and hanging out with YouTubers and doing all kind of crazy shit. So that's all I'm saying. It's like, it's it's not an attack on you. I just want you to understand. I don't see it. Because I'm sure people will listen to this and be like, what the fuck is wrong with him? Right. But this is how you get to be here. You have to be insane. In order for you to see things that other people don't see and see things in people that other people don't see. Right. So that's well, just really I mean, what it is. And I don't think it could be said better than that, man. I really appreciate the time, Thomas. Um, if you want more, definitely check out the Patreon owned by the white man. Come and support us. We're big fans over there. Um, and, you know, we might have to have a few on with a follow up to talk about my plan for Hitch. But uh, Feel free. that's going to be a little bit down the road, man. I appreciate you, bro. Means no, a lot. Sure. No, thank you. Cheers. Bro. And yeah, like I said, it's no offense to white people. It's, it's nothing against them because I tell white people this to their face. Michael Gordon's one of my best friends in the world. He's a white guy. I trust him enough. Right. And that's all we need. <laughs> for sure. Episode four. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Rose Radio Show. We really appreciate it. If you like what you saw, you can check out any of our other videos right here. And if you want to support us further, you can go on our Patreon, which is linked in the description below, and support us more and get exclusive content and access. Thank you so much.